0: Hello and welcome to the 4 Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusak, and in this episode, my very special guest is Peter Costas. Peter, as you are well aware, is a former on-course analyst for CBS Sports as well as the coach for Paul Casey. And in the podcast you're about to hear, my friend Peter and I talked quite a bit about Bryson DeChambeau and the evolution of his game and how much we think it may or may not influence pros and elite amateur players who have aspirations of playing on the PGA Tour. We also talk about course setup and how that dictates what players can and cannot do, not only in US Opens, but also in week-to-week PGA Tour events. And we get quite a bit into the weeds with regard to Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth and give a way too early look ahead towards the 2020 Fall Masters. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard, and co-author of the Younger Next Year Backbook, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the Take Anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body prime for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at golfforever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. So now that my next guest has had a chance to process the fact that the Los Angeles Lakers are the NBA champions and now share the all-time title lead with his beloved Boston Celtics, I would like to bring Peter Costas onto the Ford press. How you doing, Pete?
2: <laughs> oh, that's a great intro. I'm doing, I'm doing fantastically well. Thank you, David.
0: Well, you know, it's... um. It's unfortunately the truth. It felt like it was inevitable. I don't know how much of the NBA playoffs and certainly the finals that you watch, but it never felt like, uh, and being a Celtics fan as well, it never felt like the Lakers weren't going to win. Maybe it was the matchups that they had. Maybe it was the fact that they had two of the maybe four or five best players in basketball on the same team. But, um, yeah, it sort of felt inevitable, didn't it?
2: Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. In this, in this age of divisiveness, I'm going to put an asterisk on this because mm. – they didn't play a full season. They didn't have the the, the uh, pairings uh, lined up the way they normally would. And um, besides, the Celtics won a whole bunch in a row, <laughs> so I still give them the all time great lead.
0: Forget the whole LeBron James Michael Jordan debate. You're you're still in the in the Bill Russell camp with all those rings. I, I get it. Are you getting used to seeing Tom Brady in a in a Tampa Bay uniform?
2: <laughs> you know. Um, it's, it's really, really interesting to me as a coach and as a sports fan to, to see uh, Bill Belichick maybe doing some of his best coaching ever uh, with this team that he has right now, given the, the players that he's lost. Tom Brady is, is, is Tom Brady. He's got his, his career credentials uh, that are unquestionable, but you see him struggling a little bit and 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 so on and so forth, So it's going to be really interesting for me to see how how the season ends up and and which one of the two of them ends up with uh a little bit more success
0: now admit it a little bit to me, friend to friend, because nobody's listening we can we can we can uh, when when cam Newton was announced as the quarterback for the New England Patriots, you were happy, weren't you? You were really excited
2: uh Yes,
0: I was. <laughs> and and while obviously you know his his coming down and being COVID nineteen positive puts a damper on those things, and we hope that he gets well soon is able to come back to the team. Um, do you feel that they made the right move by letting Brady go at this point? Because it seems like Brady this year for the for Tampa has been up and down. Uh, he does love to throw a pick six now and then, um, but but Cam is not Brady. But are you? you it sounds like you are cool with that.
2: Yeah, no, and, and what I am cool with is is that. It's just like teaching the golf swing. You know, I don't I don't teach a golf swing. I, I teach the player that's in front of me, and I teach them a swing that works for them, right? And Belichick um, coaches his players. He doesn't coach football. He he doesn't make them kind of fit into the the mold that he wants. He he will figure out a way and and a, and a scheme for each week for the players he has to work with. So to me, it's really interesting to watch how the, the offense evolves, you know, with cam at, at, at the quarterback position, as opposed to what it had evolved to with Brady under, under center. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's, it's going to be fun to watch the, the evolution of the team when he comes back and as it continues throughout the season.
0: Well, so speaking of evolution, um, We've been watching quite a bit of Bryson DeChambeau, and he caused quite a dust up uh, a little while ago when, in the first round of the Shriner's Hospital for Children Open at TPC Summerlin, he goes out and shoots 62 by basically driving par four greens, making some eagles, and doing what is now, you know, Bryson type of golf. I'm assuming you had a chance to watch most of the U.S. Open, and there was a lot of talk before that about thick rough and narrow fairways and how tricky wing foot was going to be. And it was certainly very challenging for just about everybody there. What was your overall impression about the way that DeChambeau went about playing at the U S open and has basically gone through this transformation in uh, his body and his swing?
2: Well, I mean, there's, there's several questions involved in that now. Um, number one about wing foot. Um, it was designed uh, in the early 1900s. The game was, uh, played differently back then. It was primarily played along the ground. Mm-hmm. And as such, um, the vast majority of the greens at Wingfoot had areas to run the ball onto the green. That, that's the way golf was played back then. And so when you watch the way Bryson attacked the golf course, it really wasn't bomb and, and, and gouge golf. It was bomb and gouge and roll it mm-hmm. on the green. You know, he wasn't forced to, to carry, uh, bunkers or water hazards or whatever and land the ball on the green out of that rough. He could, he could hack it out of there, land it 10, 15, 20 yards short and have it roll on. And we saw a lot of players doing that. So I think he took advantage of the architectural weaknesses, um, of the golf course. He, he really did his homework and, and figured out that, okay, I can run this on here. Uh, maybe the, the flag will be located there, uh, and I'll, I'll hit it close, or if it won't, I'll, I'll two putts from 30 feet and go on to the next hole. Um, so, you know, I, I think when we get into this discussion about distance and, and Bryson and the effect it's going to have going forward, we can't discount the impact of architecture on how the game is played today as well.
0: I think it's a valid point. Um, clearly, Bryson is a thoughtful young man. He he put a lot of thought into the way that he set up his body and his equipment and the way that he approaches the game is nothing else if not well thought out. Um, it would seem like the way that he went about playing the golf course, he obviously had a plan, as we're sort of saying, in mind. I was talking with Another senior writer at Golf Week, Adam Shupak, a few days ago, and I mentioned to him the idea that uh, if you're going to have relatively narrow fairways, and from what I understand, the fairways were kept at the same width um, as the members would play on a week-to-week tournament. They, They didn't pinch the fairways leading into the U.S. Open. That's what you get. But they did. They drilled five wells over the last couple of years at Wingfoot to make sure that they had enough water to get that rough really lush and really thick, which as you were here in the Northeast this last summer, it was dry. It was hot, but that rough was, was really, really thick and lush. Um, If everyone is going to miss some of the fairways, some of the time, then it would stand to make sense that you would want to be further down in the fairway. Um, If you're going to hit say nine fairways and miss five off the tee, I'd rather be thirty or forty yards further down, all things being equal, than to be thirty or forty yards further back. When you when you design a golf course like that and you set up a championship course like that, it would seem to most people to make sense. Like, oh, if you want to get guys to if you want accuracy off the tee to be rewarded, make the rough thick and make the fairways narrow. Okay, that would seem to make sense. But am I wrong in thinking that when you set up a golf course like that, the longest hitters actually do get an even bigger advantage?
2: Well, the longer hitters will get a, a bigger advantage. And if you remember back to uh, Jeff Ogilvy's win and Phil Mickelson's uh, debacle on, on the last hole, uh, the last time it was at Wingfoot, the fairways were, were so narrow and, and the rough was so long that it ended up being a short game contest by and large. Mm-hmm. And Phil, the way Phil hit the ball back then, he had no business standing on the 72nd tee you know, with a lead. But he he had arguably one of the best short game weeks of the year. So I think in in terms of golf course setup, you know, you you try to take away one thing, but you end up realizing that after the fact, you've created a different kind of examination. Um, So, yeah, I I think that if I were to set up a golf course, given what these players can do today, um, I think everybody would agree that, you can only hit a four iron out of certain length rough. Once it gets uh, whatever four inches long, mm-hmm. you can't hit a four iron out of it. No one can. Um, you can only hit an eight iron out of certain length rough, and and a, and a pitching wedge out of certain length rough. And so I would graduate. I would graduate the rough length, not from narrow to the fairway out to the to the ropes. I would I would gradually increase the length of the rough as, as you got closer to the green and, and pitching wedge yardages. So I, I would have it be a foot long at hundred yards where you, you had a hard time getting a wedge out, you know, and I have it eight inches long where you have a hard time getting an eight iron out. And I have it four inches long where you'd have a hard time getting a five iron out. I, I would, I would make it fair for everybody at every length in the sense that if you miss a fairway, you, you're going to all be penalized the same amount.
0: Regardless of the club you're using. Well, as I as I talk to Adam, and I can I, I will also confide in you. I had a chance to talk to the Golf Week for Caddy uh, when I was at Wingfoot, and he was telling me that that idea is definitely gaining a little bit of momentum in Far Hills for the people that would ordinarily be around the water cooler in Far Hills if if they were able to be in their offices, which right now they're not. But that that idea of graduated rough, not from a width perspective, but from a length perspective, is definitely something that is being looked at and is being investigated. Um, that whole concept that you're saying is that if you want to bite off 325 yards of fairway, okay, but the penalty for you missing at 325 will probably not be as severe as the penalty of somebody hitting at 290 or 295 who misses width-wise by the same degree. The idea being that, you're, you know, that, that your distance is... You're, in, you're imparting more risk on the guy who's trying to hit it farther.
2: Several years ago, uh, Butler National Golf Force in Chicago uh, went through a, a remodeling. And uh, Tom Fazio redid all of the bunkering. And as I went around the golf course and looked at it, I, I came to the realization that um, if you were in a bunker that, let's say, required a, a seven iron to get out of, he gave you a lift that you needed a nine iron to get out of. Uh, if you are in a fairway bunker that, you know, you had to hit a three iron, he gave you uh, a lift that required a five iron. And so the, the, the lifts on the bunkers were punitive in the sense that um, you had to hit an absolutely perfect shot to be able to, to get it out of that bunker and on the green. And, and so that's when I first realized that, um, you know, if, if a fairway bunker is, a hundred yards, it's going to have a 10 foot lip Mm -hmm. and and you got to hit a lob wedge out. So I realized the penalties that you design into a golf course need to be commensurate with the club that you're going to be using from that particular part of the golf course.
0: It makes sense. Um, It makes a lot of sense. What from a, from a standpoint, because you've had a chance to see a lot of these players up close and you've been watching obviously this year quite a bit on TV, what changes have you seen in Bryson's swing as he has become physically larger and is trying to swing harder?
2: Well, a couple things. First of all, I'm impressed with how far he's hitting it, but I'm, I'm, I'm even more impressed that he hasn't lost any of his accuracy. That's that's unbelievably uh, incredible that he's able to do that. Uh, he's he's maintained his flexibility. I, I see that he has increased his range of motion of his lead shoulder in the back swing and then in the through swing which is the first uh, crank arm of the golf swing so his swing is longer he has more uh, wrist set at the top because he's swinging back faster and, and obviously when you when you put the brakes on at the top the club head keeps going and you're going to set the angle a little bit better um, so he what he's done is he's Added strength, maintain flexibility, and maintain explosiveness in in his ability to fire his muscles. So he's obviously studied this, or has people around him who have studied this, and his training regimen I think is is spot on for what he's trying to accomplish.
0: Which which sort of leads me then to the comments that we heard from Matthew Fitzpatrick uh, last you know several days ago, basically saying that. And you and I have talked about this a little bit before, that, that Bryson is making a mockery of the game. That that Fitzpatrick's saying, and I'm and I'm gonna really shorthand this, he could put on forty pounds of muscle, he could try and bash the ball farther down, but in his opinion, that's really not what the game of golf is all about. That that there should be elements of finesse, there should be elements of skill that in his opinion, Bryson is sort of trumping with with this approach. Where do you come down on those types of comments, and, and how do you see um, the other players, I guess, th- th- this reaction? Do you think that most of them share their reaction? I saw Justin Thomas coming out supporting Chambeau, who's you know a, a Ryder Cup and President's Cup teammate, and the two of them will probably play those kind of events for the, the next decade and a half at least. Um, are you surprised that there seems to be this pushback from Fitzpatrick and maybe some other players?
2: Well, I mean... I- there's always been this gap between the, the longer hitters and, and the medium-length hitters or the shorter hitters uh, throughout time. I mean, every, every superstar in every generation that I can recall um, basically separated himself from the field by being able to drive the ball brilliantly, uh, whether it was Ben Hogan or Sam Snead or... Uh, Jack Nicklaus of Tiger Woods. They were all longer than everybody else. They were all better drivers than everybody else, Greg Norman included. Um, And so, driving has always been uh, the that separates yourself from the rest of the field, right? And then, you can't discount the fact that Bryson, uh, while I don't like the way he putts, I I think that, that that should be outlawed. If you're going to outlaw the long putter then <laughs> yep.
0: you
2: what he's doing either. I, I just don't think that that's, that's
0: your criticism is that it's too vertical, that he's essentially the way that he is setting up and has his lie angle being, you know, it's not 90 degrees, but it's close that, that, that should not be allowed.
2: Yeah. And, and but, but it is, and he has, he's not breaking any rule. I want to emphasize that. No, you know, he's, He's playing by the rules. So uh, I think that the USGA and the RNA screwed up big time when they tried to, to, to fix putting, uh, and get rid of the long putter and, and so on and so forth. But that's, that's another whole subject. Um, in terms of, of Matthew, uh, you know what? He's got two choices. Everybody plays the game should be playing it the best way that they can play, not the way somebody else is playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if he doesn't want to uh, pursue distance, then he needs to make sure he really works on his accuracy and his putting. And and his ability to win on certain golf courses will be minimized. And on other golf courses, like say Colonial or, or uh, Hilton Head or, or whatever, then they'll be maximized. And he'll, he'll have fewer opportunities to win, but still he'll have opportunities to win. You know, the, the thing that, that, also, David, that happens is uh, and i 've seen this with major champions throughout the years that, in an effort to get better, they lost sight of who they were and what kind of golfer they were, yeah, you know whether it was Curtis Strange, um, you know after winning a major, he, he decided he wanted to get longer and, and, and get better uh, Ian Baker finch uh, you know luke donald um, there's been a bunch of major champions who, in the pursuit of improvement, kind of cannibalized their style of golf. They just they just lost sight of who they were. Uh, Tiger even did it for a mm-hmm. while. Um, with, with all the changes that he made in an attempt to get better, for a period there, I don't think he knew who he was as a golfer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and I'm sorry, I, go ahead. I would
2: everybody everybody to... to Think long and hard before you decide you want to put on forty pounds, go to a forty-eight inch driver, and start to play the game that that Bryson's playing. Bryson's playing Bryson's game, and and that's what's making him successful. Now, somebody else, player X Y Z, wants to try and play Bryson's game. It may not work for him.
0: Mm-hmm. To to me, it's it's when I when I heard the comments and I read it and I sort of sat back and then I read it again because I think context plays an important role in this I kept going back to the fact that he said he could do this. I could do that, but, but he's opting not to, which case that's his competitive choice. If, if he feels that, that the best way, and I agree with you that for him to shoot low scores and to compete and hopefully win that he needs to play a certain way, which it sounds like relies more on accuracy, um, good putting and short game finesse instead of, you know, trying to hit the ball, you know, 320 off the tee, launching the, the ball and, do, and doing this power game that D. That DeChambeau does. And many of the top players in the world, if you're looking at the official World Golf ranking, I mean, obviously at this point right now, Bryson is sitting there at number five, but Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Rory McElroy, these guys all move the ball off the tee. That's where the modern game has has gone. If you're saying, I don't agree with that, you're making a choice and that's fine. You can make whatever choice you like. Um, but at the same time, as you, as you stated, everything that DeChambeau is doing, including the putting, is within the rules of golf. There's nothing prohibiting him from playing this way or from anyone else choosing to play this way. It may not work as well, as you're alluding to, Pete, um, that somebody – like I would think somebody like Brooks Kepka would seem to have the physique where he could go this route and it might work. Webb Simpson, it would I would just guess here, probably not be as good for somebody like Webb. I could be totally proven wrong, but but to me it was if you were opting to play basketball against the Los Angeles Lakers and you said that you know what I don't believe in the three point shot, I just think it's wrong. I don't believe it. we're we're not going to take any three pointers, but yet they go out and they shoot, you know, twelve of them and make them. You can't have a beef with it. The rules are what the rules are. You you accept to play a certain way. Or or don't, that's fine. But but you can't hold it against somebody else who's doing it that way. And and it seems like uh in some ways Fitzpatrick is is sort of putting down one thing, but but he's not willing to concede that there's nothing wrong with it. That it's within the rules and I don't know. It to to me it did come off as sour grapes. I know some people support the notion and the idea. To me, I just read it as someone who is opting not or making a conscious decision not to adapt and change as clearly the game itself has changed?
2: Well, um, when I read it, um, and, and I made this comment, uh, when Bryson came back from the, uh, uh, suspension to play on the PGA tour, um, the amount of time, effort, energy, and money that he put into making these changes was all consuming i mean it was it was 18 hours a day of working working out hitting golf balls studying you know whatever and when i read fitzpatrick's comment basically it came across to me as i'm not willing to put that time and energy into it Mm -hmm. i got other things i got to do in my life as well and and that's a question i have for bryson quite frankly is how long can he maintain this in, this level of intensity, of working out, eating, um, uh, practicing his game, et cetera, et cetera, in order to maintain this style of play? Because this is really uh, difficult to do, I think, on a on a twelve month basis. I you asked, know, yeah, I, I asked him that,
0: Pete at Northern Trust. I said to him, you, "It would appear between the nutrition and the equipment." And the philosophical way that you're going about playing the game now, you have literally pushed all your chips into the table on this. You, you, you can't kind of half-ass this approach where we're saying like, okay, I believe that this is the best way and the most efficient way for me to play and kind of not do parts of it. And and he agreed. He, he came out and basically told me, he's like, I, I 100% believe this is the best way for me to play. It, it's going to help me in the long run. Week to week, I'm going to have ups and downs like other people, but I'm going to shoot lower scores if I do this and I 100% believe, I admire the willingness to do it. I think you bring up an excellent point. For how long? We'll see. But but he clearly has 100% put himself behind this philosophy of all this stuff. And to this point, I mean, again, he, a year ago right now, he was number 14 in the world. And now he's number five and he's got a major. It's hard to argue.
2: Well, yeah, I know. But but see, David, you can't he has no life outside of what he's doing now with his golf game and his golf career. Yep. Near as I can figure out there there's not enough hours in the day for him to have a, a, a life apart from what he's doing. How long can a person keep doing that? That's my question. Yeah. Um, does he, does he, I, I don't even know if he has a girlfriend or not, but, but does he have a social life? Does he, does he end up getting married, having kids, whatever? You, you can't do all of those things and maintain this work ethic and this style of golf, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. right? So th- This may be a shooting star that's going to be very, very bright for a, for a brief period of time, but then it's going to uh, flame out. It's Because it's you... I don't know that anybody can maintain this level of working out and intensity for a long period of time. It's
0: that's, something that, it, yeah. It's,
2: especially, off as a 12 month sport now. Yeah. You know, it used to be, you could play for nine months. Okay, take three months off, do whatever you, and, but now, the way the tours is run, that, that's not a possibility.
0: No, it's not. And, and obviously, we're going to talk a little bit of masters here. We've, we've got a major championship in a month, which is something very unique. And then we're going to have a much shorter break before we're going right back to the same, master's venue obviously at Augusta National one of the players I want to talk with you about who I think has as full a life as one of the elite players could possibly have is Rory McIlroy and heading into the COVID-19 shutdown that the PGA Tour had to do starting on the Friday of the Players Championship Rory was arguably playing his most consistently high level of golf that we had seen from him in a long time that that kid was living in the top five and while you can debate that he maybe should have closed the deal and won a little bit more. I don't think that there's anybody that was arguing that Rory McElroy going into the players championship was playing just about as well, if not better than anybody else on the planet. Since the COVID-19 um, shutdown ended at Colonial, he has not been the same player. Um, do you think that there was anything changed or what? what, what would you attribute to, the fact that we're not seeing McElroy at, you know, I, I give everybody who comes out to play on tour two, three, four weeks to get used to playing in front of no fans, to get used to the testing protocols that are now in place, to get used to the the changes that we've had to, and that the players and the caddies and all the tournament officials have had to make in order to keep golf going. Like I, th- that took a, a level of adaptation on everybody's part, but it's been a while now and we haven't seen that kind of Rory McElroy that we saw you know, November, December, and then certainly going into the early part of the spring. What, what do you think is uh, going on?
2: Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on and not the least of which is, uh, he had a pregnant wife mm-hmm. nearing the end of her pregnancy and then now they have a child and that is a life altering event as you well know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, you, your focus is, is changed. You can't. And this is again what I go back to with Bryson, that there's going to be life changes that will affect his ability to do what he's currently doing right now. And in my opinion, during during the shutdown, you know, Rory, I know Rory is a is an absolutely terrific young man with the values that I, I subscribe to. He's going to do the right thing for the right reasons. And so I, I think he probably gave up a little bit of his golf to support his wife. And then obviously with the birth of the baby uh, coming back out, you're not going to be hundred percent focused on, on your golf game either. Yep. So um, I, I don't, I don't discount that he hasn't played as well, but I, I don't think there's anything seriously um, impacting his golf game apart from off the golf course changes, quite frankly.
0: So you've been coaching Paul Casey for a long time he's now a dad did you while he was awaiting to become a dad or in in the first few months after his you know be, if he became a dad did you talk to him about this stuff did you did you guys plan out how his professional career now might be different goals maybe needed to be adjusted the, the level of commitment that he should expect from himself or that you as his instructor expect from him changed. did you talk about that
2: oh yeah we did and and you have to remember that i mean Paul was number three in the world, um, around 2010.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, had a bunch of injuries, went through a divorce and, and all these things were, were off golf course, non-golf related stuff, uh, couple of the injuries were golf related but but uh, the rest of them were snowboarding stuff and whatever and and so people started to question my ability to teach because Paul wasn't playing well and that's 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 just not a comparison if you don't know all the stuff that's going on in a player's life off the golf course right sure yeah. so now he gets remarried they, they're they're having their first child and I relayed to him the story of Tom Kite back in the day um you know he he and his wife had their kids and, and all of a sudden, you know, they were traveling with them and everything was great, but now the kids had to go to school and, and it really bothered Tom to not be around. Um, and it, He didn't really want to go out on the road. And I said, well, you know, here's what you do. You, you just, you go win more. <laughs> then you can take weeks off, you know, Go out there for, for four weeks and finish 30th each week, you're going to get X amount of dollars. You go out there, win one week, you can take three weeks off, and you're going to get even more dollars. And, and so Tom sharpened his focus and actually played really very, very good golf uh, that first year when his kids had to stay home, couldn't travel with him, and, and, and he had to be out there by himself on the road. So it's a mindset that you develop and you decide okay you know when i'm when i'm away from home i'm going to work uh, 100% of my focus on my golf game on my craft and and my livelihood and then when i go home i'm going to devote 100% of my time to my my wife and my kids my family life um you can't mix those things up in my opinion because you you never get full reward in either category
0: yeah I I, so, I I agree i think that nobody probably did that better than jack Nicholas. nobody did a lot of things better as it relates to golf, than, than Jack Nicholas, in my opinion. But for he and Barbara to have had the family that they had, for him to have the career simultaneously that he was having, the charitable endeavors that he was involved with, um, the golf course architecture business, which really got much more going as he was exiting the the competitive stage. But um, to be able to mentally silo yourself um, is, is as much a skill, I think, for professional athletes when you are talking about home life, uh, professional life, the the training that away from the golf course that they have to do. There, there's always going to be, in my opinion, a level of selfishness that's that's required, but it can be budgeted. You know, when when Dustin Johnson has to go and train and work out and put in the practice time in order to be the number one player in the world, that's time when he is not, you know, with with his family. Um, but at the same time, then when he is there with them, you would hope that the focus is on that and is not on golf. It's not on adding distance off the tee it's not on the other things that are doing that and and is nicholas still the model do you think for a lot of these guys or should he be well barbara
2: nicholas is the model
0: (laughs) (laughs) there you go exactly exactly
2: She is is just all world and i think everybody that that knows her obviously that knows jack as well uh realizes that so um it's a it's a it's a team right that's what that's what a marriage is and, uh, Barbara allowed Jack the freedom to do what Jack needed to do to, to play to his level. And, um, then Jack gave up a little bit when he went home and, and devoted time to the, to the family and, and it, it was a win-win situation for them. Yep. You know? So that, and, and that's, that's what Rory has to learn. Everybody has to figure out how to do it on their own. And sometimes, um, knowing rory to be the thoughtful person that i that i know him to be um he's going to err on the side of his family his new baby and golf is going to take if it needs to a backseat for a period of time and i think that's what's been going on now they'll they'll get together they'll figure things out and i think he'll come back out and and you'll see a new and improved rory The Sneak is a true crime podcast from For the Win in USA Today, and this season is on a surfing champion whose life took a violent, tragic turn. Within 30 seconds, they're both dead. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek, is out July 29th, wherever you get podcasts.
0: I can see it. He is, um, I, I agree with you. I, I, there is no player out there right now, athlete, at all that, that I respect more for having put himself out there to try and be the best person that he can be. I think that he's a very, very well-rounded young guy. Um, and I agree. I think that at some point, uh, if you think that Rory McIlroy stock at world number four is on a little bit of a dip, I would buy this dip with, with <laughs> everything that you got because, uh, Rory is far from done. I think that he's, it's funny, you know. I've, I've talked with some people about him and, and, and how quickly we forget that when he first turned pro and really made the big splash, 2007, um, when Padre Harrington wins at Carnoustie, is sort of Rory's coming out party for a lot of people in the US. They see this amateur player coming out and when he turned pro on the European tour, the knock on him early was he couldn't win. That he was he would shoot these great scores and he'd collect all these top fours, top fives, where he'd have a lead, but then give it up on Sunday. And then he figured out how to win. And then he figured out how to win a lot and started winning more and just putting himself in position. He finally breaks through wins his U S open at congressional and that opens up some floodgates. And then that sort of goes away. It, it seems like there have been very natural progressions and plateaus throughout his career. And if we're on a plateau or a slight dip right now, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not buying the fact that, that, that Rory is not going to in pretty short order start to come back get whatever focus and balance that's going to be required for he and his family to, for him to be at his best, and then watch out, which is also what I've sort of been waiting for from Jordan Spieth. And We've been waiting for a little while on Spieth. Um, what do you make of what's going on, speaking of Team Spieth? What, what, what is your picture of, of what's happening with Jordan at this point?
2: Well, I mean, obviously there's a, there's a level of frustration um, that they haven't figured it out. Any sooner than, I mean, there's nothing to say that they figured it out yet. Uh, We'll have to wait and see in the next few weeks. But I saw this problem starting um, three years ago, three and a half years ago, um, when all of a sudden, and Jordan had a golf swing. Uh, Let me back up, and and, and I'm going to get geeky and technical in in terms of the golf swing for a second. Please do. In my philosophy, the the swinging of the hands and arms – um, and and releasing of the club head should eliminate the right side of the golf course. The rotation of the body and the speed of the rotation of the body should eliminate the left side of the golf course. So when you get your hand and arm release and your body speed compatible, in other words, synced up, the ball flies pretty straight, right? Yep. And a few years ago... Uh, Dean Spieth decided he was going to hit the ball farther, yeah. and that's when ground reactive forces and and using the ground as leverage and all of that other stuff uh, came into the uh, arena of teaching. It was it was it was the flavor of the month yeah, kind of stuff. It was stuff. A trend. Yep. he started he started widening his stance, really using his legs and and body rotation uh, very very aggressively to hit the ball farther problem was he didn't have a grip and a release of his hands and arms that could keep up with the body speed so the body speed outraced the hand and arm speed hence the ball flies off to the right and um when he started to try and do that in his golf swing i thought that there was going to be an issue here because um You can't change one thing in the golf swing without changing the other things that it affects. They all have to be compatible. The gears have to grind together. You can't, you can't have them out of sync. And that, that's what I see with Jordan. I see, uh, more use of the body, greater use of the body speed, trying to use the ground force reaction that, that everybody talks about. And, and he's done that, but his grip has to a strong enough position to offset the increase in the body speed. That's what I see from a technical standpoint. You know, and when he's timing it, oh, it's okay. But when when tension increases and the grip pressure increases a little bit, and the hands don't release quite fast enough, you're going to hit that block out to the right. Maybe only once, maybe twice around, but that's enough to separate you from the winner circle and missing the cut.
0: So, how do you, as an instructor? and I'm not asking you to sort of speak to Jordan specifically on this, but you've worked with enough players and you've been around players for a long enough time. How do you as an instructor, keep a player from having a physical shortcoming or challenge, something that they are trying to work through, get to become a mental challenge? Because as you pointed out, and I 100% agree with at some point or another, Jordan Spieth has got to have become so frustrated that the work that he's putting in with Cameron McCormick and the whole team has not, you know, giving them the fruit, like there's a round here or there where he can probably see like, okay, there it is. Okay, we got it going. And then a triple bogey pops up and he misses a cut. And then the next week, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where if you, when you're watching Jordan speed from 2015, 16, 17, he was impressive. I mean, like everything was there. The the putting was always the thing that, that people focused on, but they forgot or didn't realize How elite a ball striker he was. He was never as long as Dustin Johnson or some of the guys that really moved it off the tee. But his iron game was so good, and he was able to get himself so quickly to that putter, which was always wonderful, that he could keep up with those guys. And when things started to go, as you're pointing out, in 2018, the fact that he only has five top tens um, in 23 events— the year before two thousand and seventeen, he has twelve top tens in twenty three events, and it just goes down and down and down from there until like, you get to this year, and you know his his numbers. If you look at where he is, um, the fact that Jordan Spieth was you know number ninety seven in strokes gain approached the green at, at his peak, he's a top five guy. Um, his putting was off; other things are off. How do you keep? the confidence and sort of the mental part of it separated from the physical part of it when the physical is just dragging on for so long it becomes frustrating
2: well you have to you have to get rid of the one thing that you're fearful of that that's what creates the the, the mental block you know wh- whether you're fearful of a of a high block to the right or a low duck hook what, whatever it is whatever you're fearful of you have to get rid of it you, you may introduce another error but you say, okay, well, I can fix this one now that that one's gone. And, and mentally, you're a little bit relieved. But in in Jordan's case, I still see the same miss. And that's what it starts to wear on you mentally, right? Mm-hmm. And so, again, you have to be careful um, what you wish for in this game. Because sometimes, in an attempt to get better, you lose your identity. And Jordan Spieth was always a very good driver of the golf ball, not the longest, not the straightest, but a pretty good combination of long and straight. And then he let his irons put the ball in the green and then he let his putter do his talking. And now he's spending so much time having to work on his, on his golf swing and, and, and his driver. Again, you take, you're up from Peter to pay Paul. You take time away from the putting green um, because you need to use it to get rid of that block with your driver. And, then you're putting suffers. And now, now you're in a downward spiral all the way around. Yeah. So in, in my opinion, they need to go back and, and figure out who he wants to be, who he should be as a player. Because what he was when he first came out on tour and, and uh, what he was up until the last, say, three years, was a pretty doggone good player. And I know it's not from lack of trying with Jordan.
1: You know, no. he,
2: he's, he's all in on, on effort. Uh, but they, I think have just been barking up the wrong tree with, with trying to hit it farther in a manner that's not compatible with his original golf swing.
0: 2015 FedEx cup champion, 2015 masters champion, U S open champion, damn near one. The open at St. Andrews wins the tour championship that year. Um, obviously wins his open championship 2017 at, at Birkdale, um, it's, it's a lot of positive things to draw back on from experience to, to give him confidence. And um, it'll be fascinating to see when he and everybody else, for example, show up here in a couple of weeks. Now it's time for our way too early master's preview section. I know you've been looking forward to this. Pete, what's it going to be like for you to watch the masters on TV?
2: Well, it's, it's going to be strange. I've, I've done every master's uh, since 1990. So that's going to be weird. for One thing. Um, the the good news is I'm not going to be looking over my shoulder to see if I broke a rule that I didn't know. <laughs> how
0: many times How many times over the years did I try and call your cell phone just to see if I could make it go off in thirteen tower? Do you know? Like I, I tried. I think it was like my annual like that and pimento cheese sandwiches were the were, the, were my efforts.
2: Yeah, well, I, I'm dumb, but I'm not that dumb.
0: <laughs> so, uh, where, where you, I'm assuming you're going to be watching in Phoenix. Um, what will you be watching for?
2: Well, the the thing for me is. What was always, I thought, one of the one of the greatest qualities of of the Masters Tournament was there was nothing but players and caddies inside the ropes, and so when you looked, and obviously there may be one handheld camera behind the sure. player, but um, it, it was pristine inside the ropes. And, you know, you can go to the U.S. Open or the PGA Championship or the Open Championship, whatever. And, and there, there could be, you know, with the leaders, there could be another hundred people inside the ropes yep. cluttering up the, the, the image that you see, right? So I always, I always appreciated the Masters for, for keeping it pristine visually. This year, to me, it's going to be really, really interesting uh, because I think the weather is going to become a, a factor. I mean, it, it could be anywhere from 45 degrees to 75 degrees in November. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we don't know where we're going to get yet. Um, but mostly it's going to be no fans, no patrons. Um, I, I think that that's going to open up the door for, for Bryson DeChambeau. I, I'll, I'll go on record right now. Uh, people have already been asking me, what's he going to do at 13? He'll be able to take it over the trees and – and and hit a wedge in. I said, you know what? I don't even think he's going to go over the trees necessarily. I I think he's going to drive it in the 14th fairway.
0: Totally. Yeah. He's
2: going to drive it up to the 14th fairway and come in from that angle, which is a great angle to to come at that green from. So um, I I think you're going to see with with no people there, you're going to see players taking different lines, uh, perhaps stylistically playing the golf course a little differently. Uh, Obviously, in Bryson's (laughs) <laughs> you know situation uh the, the fairway is going to be 50 yards wide on one over the bunker uh two he can drive it over the hill and hit a medium to short iron in three is three. Four, five is not much difference uh seven he can drive it past the trees up by the green
0: i started doing the same exercise uh, pete a, a few days ago when he was talking about the 48 inch driver and what he might do and, and i was i was playing out the par fives in my head about if if he is as straight as he has been, which is straight enough, certainly, um, there are lines I mean that in in two thousand and fourteen when Bubba Watson goes up and over and on thirteen, and we really hadn't seen that line where a guy goes and clips and cuts the corner like that, and really, you know, that was the one where when he finally hits that shot and speeds got because
2: I was on that tower and Bubba did not go up and over. He went up and through.
0: <laughs> that line has that, that was quite a brave line, and a couple guys have now since then started that line. But there are gonna be lines that we haven't seen, and I think it's what you're saying is true, and that um with no patrons who are gonna be lining that, the 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 miss if, if somebody lays up, for example, you talk about thirteen, if if guys go through the fairway on thirteen or come up with something such that they're not going at the green. The play is to go way right on 13 into those mounds. And basically the end of the, the line of the ropes that keeps the patrons from getting too close to 13 green and, and really getting them down towards 14 tee box. That, that landing area now becomes where he could land a drive. I mean, he could try yeah. and hit it just a massive draw and send it out over there with his first shot which is not exactly what Bobby Jones and Alistair McKenzie had in mind, um, but all over the place, as you mentioned, on two, on a on, on number one, if he just goes at it, that bunker on the right-hand side comes out of play and that changes the whole complexion of, of that hole. But um, what, how often have you played, if, if at all, have you played Augusta national when there are no grandstands set up, no patrons around? What is visually, what does it look like or how does it look differently than what people are used to seeing it on TV.
2: Well, I mean, there there, there are no stands. Um, They're called patron observation stands Mm. where the acronym is POS, but I'm not going to go there. Um, (laughs) You know, the TV towers are there. Yep. They're, they're permanent. um, But nothing else looks like, looks like the tournament, you know? Um, It's, it's it's pristine, it's really nice, and I don't know that there are all that many stands i mean there are some around, but mostly it's the it's the flock of people you know outside of the ropes down by uh eight seven that area too uh the people behind the 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 green at sixteen mm-hmm. The, the people are behind the tee at 16, rather, the, the people um, in that triangle area of 13, 14, those, those crowds and the people surrounding the 18th green, those are the ones that that frame the, the, the visual for the player. And now that, that framing is not going to be there. So it's going to be a lot more wide open and, and I think perhaps even a little bit more difficult to focus your attention where you need to focus it.
0: I can agree. I think that I'm going to miss... And I don't think there's any way even the Augusta National Golf Club can can cre- recreate this. Is the um, the atmosphere and the tension, the sense of theater when you have that many people who are cheering and the and the roars through the pines and and it's it's cliche, but it's cliche because it's true. Um, you know, you and I have been to enough of these things, fortunately over the years. When you hear a roar from someplace on the golf course, and based on the direction and sort of the time of day, you can kind of figure out who must be there and what that must mean because the scoreboards are not electronic the way they are at regular PGA tour events. They're mechanical. Like people will take down a cluster of three numbers, slide in the cards and then pop them back up. And then the crowd responds to, to whatever news because nobody's allowed to have their phone out there. You don't really know what's going on. Um, that atmosphere that is created when fans have these spontaneous roars, when you get the oohs and the ahs, which is, is unlike any other tournament, is not something that we have been able to replicate at the U.S. Open. I mean, I was there. It felt like a really hard tournament. It did not feel like a major. It just didn't. Um, when yeah, I was then, you know, at other events, it just no, with no fans, you, you don't have that sense of theater.
2: And, and, well, it's a double-edged sword for the players as well because if, if you go back, everybody remembers 86 and Jack Nicklaus and, and, and what he did uh, on the second nine on Sunday – and, and those roars that he created with, with the shots that he hit, and the birdies and the eagles and, that he made, obviously pumped him up. There's no question about that. But it also leveled uh, some degree of fear in the people that he was chasing.
0: Oh, Seve and, and Norman felt were, it for
2: sure. And, and it created tension for them. So now um, that's not going to happen this year may not even happen in April. I mean, we don't know what's what's going on yep. with the pandemic and when uh, we'll be able to go back and have uh, full crowds at, at tour events, right, or majors, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's an adjustment that's going to, that's gonna, I think, be very intriguing to watch, uh, especially on television. You're not going to get the excitement to really energize you, but you're also not going to get uh, the roars that, Will put fear into people, and so it, it'll be uh, up to the players to control their energy level and their and their destination.
0: How are you and Paul going to prepare for it, and uh, and are you going to go or are you going to stay back in back in Arizona?
2: I'm going to stay in Arizona. Okay. No, I'm not going to go. Uh, we're going to. He's playing this week and next week, and then, then he's coming back, and we're going to work on kind of what we always do uh, at Whisper Rock. They they'll get. One of the greens really, really fast, one of the practice greens, so we'll be able to work on speed with the putter. Um, we've got some areas uh, with uneven lie stances where we can practice, uh, you know, like the second shot on 10 or mm-hmm. the, the, the hanging lie on two and stuff like that. We'll, we'll just work a little bit on, on some shots that he's most likely going to get. Um, but mostly it's just going to be get all the homework done so that when he gets to Augusta, he doesn't have to worry about, you know, working on this or working on that. He's freed up to to get his mind organized about how he's going to plot his way around the golf course and, and how he's going to play and what kind of shots he's going to hit.
0: Obviously, it's a really challenging golf course. There's no reason to think that in November it won't be challenging as well, and we'll see what we're going to get from a weather standpoint. But would you agree that with without fans – in attendance this year at the masters, at least certainly in November, that it could make it easier for a first time or a relatively inexperienced by master standards player to win because as you said, the roars are not gonna be there. The sense of tension that comes from you know Saturday and Sunday, I would think is going to be as much self-created as it is what you actually hear because you're not gonna hear very much. I would imagine it'll be very, very quiet out there. Does that make it easier for somebody who hasn't really gone through it before to to win?
2: Well, um, I think Colin Morikawa answered that at the PGA. Yeah, um, and and to a certain extent, Bryson at the U.S. Open. I mean, they both won their first majors, right? Um, and when you're when you're when you're there and there's no crowds, then you're not really experiencing the true. Uh, intensity of a major championship, right? You go to Augusta and you play with a member and it's, it's great. You have fun and it's, it's, it's good, cool, but there's no crowd around, none of this. And the first timers this year at Augusta, uh, are going to get there and they're not going to really experience the Masters. They're going to be playing a tournament at Augusta National Golf Club, uh, and it's called the Masters, but they're not going to be in the Masters because there's not going to be Thirty-five or forty thousand people around there.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's we-
2: going to make it easier, I think, for the for the first timers, and uh, I don't want to say necessarily harder for the for the veterans, but it's going to certainly uh, create a, a void in their in their memory bank that they 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 kind of pull shots out of to get through a certain situation.
0: It's going to be like nothing else we've seen, and there's been a lot of that in 2020. You know, so that's it, just sort of stands to reason. But as we were going around Wingfoot, there were people in their backyards. I mean, they kept showing Rick Bettino had bleachers. You know, behind number three green, there were people behind ten along the side of eleven. There were people at four, and it was a small thing. You know, but it was sort of this little tip of the cap to like, okay, people actually are watching this there is not going to be anybody at Augusta National uh, who isn't supposed to be there or isn't credentialed to be there. The The number of media is going to be very small. I don't know uh, from a production standpoint how many limitations are going to be put on CBS in terms of can they bring as many crew to, to put on the broadcast as, as they typically would do, or if that's going to be, I would assume, a smaller number than they would have done otherwise. Um, but it's going to be a small group. It's going to be real quiet. It's going to be much more like what we saw, for example, at TPC Boston, another venue that you know, where there are no houses. There's nobody there uh, on that great big property. There's not going to be anybody there um, at the Masters either. I think it will be fascinating to watch. It's a real treat. It's going to look really different too. Um, I would imagine it's just going to be multiple shades of green. We're not going to obviously get azaleas and magnolias and dogwoods and all that kind of stuff, but I, I can't wait. I think it's just a treat. It's something that uh, hopefully we have earned the right to have fun with this, and then the quick turnaround. Um, do you have to hustle out to get yourself a new iPhone twelve now?
2: Uh, I'm going to order it online. I'm not going. <laughs> I, I do. I, I've I've stayed with an old one for a while and it's cracked and it's. Uh, I've been hanging on, waiting for this one to to, to come out. So there you go. But I, I will say this: I do think um, I don't think there'll be much in the way of limitations on CBS from the Masters Committee Good uh, in terms of putting on the production because I think they realize that the only way the world is going to see the tournament this year yeah. is from watching on television and so they're going to want to do everything if I know them like I think they know them I know them and they're going to want to do everything they can to maximize the viewer experience uh, for this unique event And um, I'm sure CBS is going to be there. I have no way of knowing. I haven't talked to anybody, but I'm sure CBS is willing to to put up all they can do it as well.
0: The the word that I heard on uh, general media also is that there's going to be a a few more people than they have been going to regular week-to-week PGA Tour events. In part because the media center is so big that you can socially distance relatively easily in that media center. So I don't know how many outlets are getting, how many credentials, and this is getting way into stuff. But I think that there will be a little bit more robust coverage than we have been getting otherwise on site. And there will certainly be plenty of remote coverage that that's getting done as well. So hopefully people can still get you know all their master's fix in, in November. And it'll be interesting to see it because obviously we know the tea times are going to be moved way forward because it's going to be dark at around 5.30 in Augusta, Georgia in uh, the middle of November. Pete, it's always a real pleasure. Thank you very, very much for coming on The Ford Press. I look forward to doing with you again real, real soon.
2: Thanks, David. Take care.
0: Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any